0: Chapter 7 Of A Mind That Found Itself by Clifford Whittingham Beers This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tom Daly. Chapter 7 Choice of a sanatorium by people of limited means is, unfortunately, very restricted though my relatives believed the one in which i was placed was at least fairly well conducted events proved otherwise from a modest beginning made not many years previously it had enjoyed a mushroom growth about two hundred and fifty patients were harbored in a dozen or more small frame buildings suggestive of a mill settlement outside the limits of a city and in a state where there was lax official supervision owing in part to faulty laws The owner of this little settlement of woe had erected a nest of veritable fire-traps in which helpless, sick people were forced to risk their lives. This was a necessary procedure if the owner was to grind out an exorbitant income on his investment. The same spirit of economy and commercialism pervaded the entire institution. Its worst manifestation was in the employment of the meanest type of attendant— men willing to work for the paltry wage of eighteen dollars a month. Very seldom did competent attendants consent to work there, and then usually because of a scarcity of profitable employment elsewhere. Providentially for me, such an attendant came upon the scene. This young man, so long as he remained in the good graces of the owner superintendent, was admittedly one of the best attendants he had ever had yet aside from a five-dollar bill which a relative had sent me at christmas and which i refused to accept because of my belief that it like my relative's was counterfeit aside from that bill which was turned over to the attendant by my brother he received no additional pecuniary rewards his chief reward lay in his consciousness of the fact that he was protecting me against injustices which surely would have been visited upon me had he quitted his position and left me to the mercies of the owner and his ignorant assistants. To-day, with deep appreciation, I contrast the treatment I received at his hands with that which I suffered during the three weeks preceding his appearance on the scene. During that period no fewer than seven attendants contributed to my misery. Though some of them were perhaps decent enough fellows outside a sick-room, not one had the right to minister to a patient in my condition. The two who were first put in charge of me did not strike me with their fists or even threaten to do so, but their unconscious lack of consideration for my comfort and peace of mind was torture. They were typical eighteen-dollar-a-month attendants. Another of the same sort, on one occasion, cursed me with a degree of brutality which I prefer not to recall, much less record, and a few days later the climax was appropriately capped when still another attendant perpetrated an outrage which a sane man would have resented to the point of homicide. He was a man of the coarsest type. His hands would have done credit to a longshoreman, fingers knotted nearly twice the normal size. Because I refused to obey a peremptory command—and this at a time when I habitually refused, even on pain of imagined torture, to obey or to speak—this brute not only cursed me with abandon, he deliberately spat upon me i was a mental incompetent but like many others in a similar position i was both by antecedents and by training a gentleman vitriol could not have seared my flesh more deeply than the venom of this human viper stung my soul yet as i was rendered speechless by delusions i could offer not so much as a word of protest i trust that it is not now too late however to protest in behalf of the thousands of outraged patients in private and state hospitals whose mute submission to such indignities has never been recorded of the readiness of an unscrupulous owner to employ inferior attendants i shall offer a striking illustration the capable attendant who acted as my protector at this sanatorium has given me an affidavit embodying certain facts which of course i could not have known at the time of their occurrence the gist of this sworn statement is as follows one day a man seemingly a tramp approached the main building of the sanatorium and inquired for the owner he soon found him talked with him a few minutes and an hour or so later he was sitting at the bedside of an old and infirm man this aged patient had recently been committed to the institution by relatives who had laboured under the common delusion that the payment of a considerable sum of money each week would ensure kindly treatment. When this tramp attendant first appeared, all his visible worldly possessions were contained in a small bundle which he carried under his arm. So filthy were his person and his clothes that he received a compulsory bath and another suit before being assigned to duty. He then began to earn his four dollars and fifty cents a week by sitting several hours a day in the room with the aged man, sick unto death. My informant soon engaged him in conversation. What did he learn? First that the uncouth stranger had never before so much as crossed the threshold of a hospital. His last job had been as a member of a section gang on a railroad. From the roadbed of a railway to the bedside of a man about to die, was indeed a change which might have taxed the adaptability of a more versatile being. But, coarse as he was, this unkempt novice did not abuse his charge, except in so far as his inability to interpret or anticipate wants contributed to the sick man's distress. My own attendant, realizing that the patient was suffering for the want of skilled attention, spent a part of his time in this unhappy room, which was but across the hall from my own, The end soon came. My attendant, who had been training as a nurse, detected the unmistakable signs of impending death. He forthwith informed the owner of the sanatorium that the patient was in a dying condition, and urged him, a doctor, to go at once to the bedside. The doctor refused to comply with the request on the plea that he was at the time too busy. When at last he did visit the room, the patient was dead. Then came the supervisor, who took charge of the body. As it was being carried from the room, the supervisor, the handy man of the owner, said, There goes the best-paying patient the institution had. The doctor, meaning the owner, was getting eighty-five dollars a week out of him. Of this sum, not more than twenty dollars at most, at the time this happened, could be considered as cost of maintenance. The remaining sixty-five dollars went into the pocket of the owner. Had the man lived for one year, the owner might have pocketed, so far as this one case was concerned, the neat but wicked profit of thirty-three hundred and eighty dollars. And what would the patient have received? The same privilege of living in neglect and dying neglected. End of Chapter 7